You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's been a great year. It's been a great year. Of course, there were ups and downs. There were twists and turns. But one thing is certain, right? This family have helped us in a major way, right? So with that one, we are so honored and privileged to really have this opportunity and to have this just the thought of we get to serve you in this capacity. It's something that we always thank God each and every day. So thank you so much, Victory Dumaguete family. Thank you so much. We always thank God for each and every one of you. All right? So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be delving into Matthew 2 verse 1 to 11. We are reading the ESV and it says here, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, it says here, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. This is the fourth week, right? And we are going through the series called The Miracle. Whom you have been blessed by this series? And of course, we all don't know this one. Every Christmas, we always take the time to discuss about the birth of Jesus. But something different happened for this series because we focused on that thing, and that is the incarnation. And the whole point of the incarnation is that God is now with us, right? And today we'll be unpacking the tail end of Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. We know this one, Matthew 1 to 2. The two chapters is all about the birth of Christ. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pull out certain words in the text that will point us to a greater spiritual lesson or reality. I call that one the signpost. Okay? Have you ever seen this one when you go to Rob? Diba? Mga sale. Tama ba? Sale. 50% off. If you know 50% off, okay, this is the best time to buy. Tama ba? All right? So we, we are going to do just that. We're going to look at certain passages. And this is what we're going to tackle, the three signposts that we're going to do. Bethlehem, wise men, and the child. That's what we're going to do. Let's go directly to signpost number one. We're going to delve deeper. What was Matthew 
telling to us or what is Matthew trying to communicate to us by quoting explicitly this particular verse found in the Old Testament. And we get to see this one that Matthew said that the birth of Christ is going to happen in Bethlehem. It says here in verse 4 to 6, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Judea, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So I would like for us to take note of that two words, Bethlehem and by the prophet. So what is the significance of Bethlehem right here? If you are fond of reading Old Testament or fond of connecting the link between the New Testament and the Old Testament, we get to understand that in this particular passage, Matthew is quoting Micah 5 verse 2. And we know this one. There are lots of prophecies that concerns the birth of Christ, but Micah 5 verse 2 explicitly mentioned that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. It has to be Bethlehem. Now, allow me to drive a theological point with this one. Here's the thing. This has been prophesied by the prophets before and now is coming into fulfillment. What is the point? God is the divine orchestrator. God is in charge. What God said before, it will come to pass. I love how my friend said it this way. God said it, that settles it. And I don't know with you, but I think for me, that brings a lot of comfort. 2024, we don't know what is coming, but here's one thing that I know for sure. What God said in His Word, it will come to pass. It might not be tomorrow, it might not be next week, but I know God is there. I'm going to be okay. Another thing is that it says here, by the prophet. Why is this significant? Why is this significant? Because again, it is the fulfillment of the promises of God made in the past. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, I do understand that for us modern people, and modern people, of course, that's all of us, unless all of us are modern people, right? It's hard for us modern people to feel the full weight of this because in our vantage point, even if we are the poorest among the poor, right, we are not that oppressed. Our problem, at least for us, modern folks, is poverty. But sometimes it doesn't mean that it is cruel. Are you following? Of course, I'm not trying to, I know, but there are sections right now that cruelty is still happening and we are praying for it. We're praying for God's hand to infiltrate that culture. But at least for us Filipino people, we are not that oppressed. But for the Israelites, prophecies are a big deal. Why? Because for them, it is their hope. It is a matter of survival for them. It is understandable why they hold it tightly. To illustrate this one, have you ever had your national ID? Three years ago, you were there, gapa ID ka, imungisulat imungalan, and then you're excited to get that slip, di ba? And then, five years after, six years after, wait, a post office, or for some of us, wala pa, right? And we know that one, the agony of it, right? Now think about that one in a much 
deeper degree, we're in the promises. It's a promise about your freedom from oppression. And that's what the Israelites is experiencing at that moment. And so, for the Israelites, prophecies are such a big deal because for them, that is the thing that they are holding on so tightly because if that will happen, then I know things are going to be finally okay. And even right now, I know for sure promises are still a big deal. In fact, we live in a world wherein it's hard to trust somebody because of broken promises. We know this one, right? Kathniel before and now Kimchu and <laughs> what's the root of this one? Broken promises. And that's why right now we are so disillusioned by this one. And so I would like to communicate to us, this is the, the drama of this one, the psychology of the Israelites, that they are actually, that's the prophecy. This is a big deal. It's like your Shopee. Katong review pa ka, tanaw-tanaw pa ka, tanaw ka reviews, five stars, four stars, tanaw ka sa mga videos, di ba? And then, when it finally, giad to cart ni mo, ibay ni mo, cash on delivery, and then the moment ni abot siya, how did you feel? It's ecstasy, right? Perhaps this is what Matthew is trying to communicate to us. It's a divine recollection. Can everybody say that with me? Recollection. Matthew is like saying, hey, look back on what the prophets of the past have said about the future. Here it is now. What has been said at the past, here it is now. All that we have hoped for and longed for is now happening right in our very midst. We are about to do prayer and fasting and you all have your prayer points, right? You have all the things that you're believing God for, right? And this is also their prayer request back then, that the Messiah will be born so that the Messiah can now free them from the oppression. So can you see the psychology? Can you see the emotion of the Israelites right now? For them to know, okay, this is now the fulfillment of prophecy. It is something so heavy for them. The promises from Genesis to Malachi, we know this one. The glory, if you love biblical history, but sometimes we think of this one, right? That the greatest tragedy that happened to the Israelite people is when they were in the wilderness. Who among you believe that that is the case? But here's the thing. I believe certain scholars would say that the greatest tragedy that happened to the Israelite folks is when the glory of the Lord departed from the temple in Ezekiel 10, verse 18. I'm not trying to be a nerd right here talking about biblical history, but the point is this. Israelites, their identity is tied towards the presence of God in their temple. Now just imagine the glory of the Lord parted away from your temple. How would you feel? I think we all know this one. We live in the Philippines. Sometimes magkabagyo, di ba? And we know this one, if panitan mabagyuhan mo, mga guba ang inyong balay, how does it feel? The sense of dignity, the sense of security, it shatters you in a way. And this is what the Israelites have experienced. The glory of the Lord has departed from them. And we all know what happened to that one. After that one is the 400 years of silence. Right? We all know this one that... After Malachi, there is the 400 years and comes the New Testament. And in that sandwich, in that middle is the 400 years of silence. A time wherein God did not spoke to His people. Now think about this one. Your, you parade your pride is on the fact that we are the chosen people of God. We are 
the chosen people whom God used to bring about the blessings to the nation. And right now, that identity is not with you anymore. It's like you were stripped off from your dignity, from your riches, from your identity. And this is what the Israelite is feeling. And hopefully, we are feeling the drama of this one. We are feeling the drama of the days, of the months, of the years leading up to the incarnation. Sometimes when we talk about the incarnation, wow, that's so powerful. But sometimes it can go past over our heads because sometimes it, it can become so abstract. And I really believe that incarnation would be so much powerful and impactful if we don't divorce it to its historical context. The incarnation is such a big deal because Israelites were in such desperation. What do we have in the incarnation? And what happened in the incarnation is exactly that. That's what we have been saying a while ago. For to us, a child is born. Just imagine 400 years of silence. Everyone is blank. Everyone is in total darkness. Everyone was asking their mind, okay, what's going to happen to us as the Israelite nation? And there it was. This prophecy, this magic came and announced the birth of the coming Messiah. I love this author who said this one. For while all things were in quiet silence, and the night was in the midst of her course, the Almighty God leapt down from heaven. From the royal throne, He came and dwelt as a baby newly born. Here we see God has now come back, not as a spirit in the temple, but as a baby in the manger, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was unlike before. If you're fond of reading the Old Testament, one of the struggles of the Israelite is they just can't talk to God face to face. Tama I mean, if Moses talks to God, he has to turn his back. He has to get off his sandals. We know this one in Elijah, he talked to God in the presence of tornado. Just think about this one. Just imagine if Moses were to hear that God has now became flesh and you are now seeing it face to face. Just imagine the awesomeness of that one. Back then, you can't even look at God because God is so holy. You can't even touch the Ark of the Covenant. But right now, you're seeing God in that baby in a manger. God became flesh and dwelt among men. It was unlike before. God came back natural, smoking furnace, a pillar of fire, a hurricane or tornado, but in a baby in a manger. Matthew understands that what happened in the incarnation is this. God's world intersected with ours. God's time intersected with ours. Heaven have now come to us. There was a marriage between God's world and this world that we have. And in the incarnation, those two things met. Just think about the gravity of that. There was marriage that happened. I love that phrase. Heaven and earth became one. And I love this illustration it's the dawning of time. When you are in darkness, right? Picture of the cave and there was a sunlight. I think that's the picture of our world back then, before the incarnation happened. There was total darkness. Everyone is in 
constant desperation. Everyone is anxious. They don't know what to do anymore. And then the incarnation comes and somehow the light has now displaced the darkness. Just like that light is displacing the darkness in the cave. We all know this one. The theme of Jesus' preaching, if you get to study it, has always been the kingdom of God has come near. It's the dawning of time. When Jesus came at the incarnation, it was the beginning of something new. It has always been in Matthew 6.10. We all know this one. Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come and your will be on as it is in heaven. Mark 1 verse 15, God always says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. All that to say, my friends, the incarnation is no small thing. The incarnation has certain gravity in it, and hopefully we won't miss it out. Another signpost that we're going to discuss today, it's the wise men. The wise men. It's the divine inclusion. It says here in verse 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, of course, we know this one for the past four weeks. We have been discussing the announcement of the birth of Christ, the incarnation, and the virgin birth, right? But I believe, I certainly believe, and other scholars believe as well, I just believe in them, <laughs> that there is another facet of Jesus' birth that Matthew is communicating. If you think about it, certain facts about Matthew's gospel. Matthew wrote especially to the Jews to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that is such an important point. Matthew wrote especially to the Jews to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if you are to convince Jews, right, for you to be able to accomplish such things, the last thing that you want to include are non-Jewish character. Tama ba? I mean, if you're going to convince someone that this message that you have is worth reading, in your mind, when you are writing it, you are going to include people that would make sense to them. Tama ba? That's how we do it always, right? When we tag people. But look at what's happening right here. Matthew wrote, and that the first people that went looking for Jesus are the Magi. If you do that one, one thing is for sure, you are setting your letter up for failure. You are setting your letter up for failure. Why? Because the Magi's are pagan astrologers and dream interpreters who came from the East. The East which basically comes from Babylon. And we know this one in history, Babylon are the people who have also oppressed their people. If you are Matthew, the last thing you want to do is to include this one because the very moment that the Jewish people would read your letter and then they see that one, it's the Magi and it's included in the narrative of the birth of Christ. The first thing you're going to do is that, ah, man, I'm done with this one. But here we see, notice as well the positive account of Matthew about the Magi. The question of the Magi is this, where is he who is king of the Jews? 
That's the first question. And look at the intention of the Magi. We have come to worship Him. And notice the dedication of the Magi. When they saw that they were looking for, Matthew says it literally, it's already a child, which means probably this Magi, because Magi back then traveled in a caravan, they traveled for a long time because from the birth of Jesus, from the announcement, the moment they arrive, the baby is already a child. So probably it was a long travel. What am I saying in this? For Matthew to frame such account that way, Matthew is basically championing the Magi and he is building him up and honoring them. Notice the premise. Matthew is writing for the Jewish people to convince the Jews, that Jesus is the Messiah. But here, Matthew is writing on the most important biography or narrative of the birth of the Christ. He is including the Magi. And not only that one, because if you're going to think about it, this is not only the first time that Matthew did this one, right? In the genealogy, this is what you see. If I can just frame this one in like this. Who among you are fond of baseball? In baseball, if you don't hit it, there is a strike. So this one, that's already strike one. Now let's look back on the genealogy. He included Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Those are five women. In the ancient genealogies, you don't include women. Why? Because if you're going to put up a history, you're going to put in there the Descent was usually traced through men as the head of the family. So that's strike two. Second thing is that Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba were of questionable character. That's strike three. Secondly, Rahab and Ruth. They were Gentiles. Notice the premise. Matthew is writing to the Jews. But notice this one. Rahab and Ruth were Gentiles. And the last strike, Magi. They are the first people whom, according to the account of Matthew, who were looking for Jesus. In Luke, it was the shepherds. But in Matthew, it is the Magi. Here's the thing. If Matthew is trying to do something to convince the Jews, one thing that we can say, Matthew is setting his letter up for failure. If you are a Jewish person and those names are the things that you see, you already disqualified your letter. Why am I saying all of these things? Don't worry, there's a point to this one. It took a lot of time to unpack that one, but there's a point to this one. And hopefully this is something that will really minister to each and every one of us. In addition to the incarnation, I believe that the incarnation has a much deeper message. And it relates, it includes you and me. This is the point of this one. Why did Matthew did such a thing? The woman, the Gentiles, the murderers, the magis, the prostitutes, refugees, adulterers. These are outcasts, rejects of the society. These are strays people in their culture, outlaws. But they are all included in the story of the birth of the Messiah. Why? It's this divine inclusion. Zoom out a bit. If you're going to study the character of Matthew, you get to understand why Matthew included those people. Why is that so? Because Matthew was a tax collector. No one likes him. 
he was despised. When he walks in the roads of Jerusalem, people spit over him. He was hated. He was an outcast. He was dejected. And if there is anyone who is more despicable to be called upon a friend of Jesus, it would have been him. He was a Jew, but he was taxing the Jewish people. He has sided with Rome. He was oppressing the Jewish people. In plain language, he was a traitor. While people are desperate for the salvation that is to come from the birth of the Messiah, Matthew was there oppressing them. Fellow Jews taxing them. But here's the thing. He was accepted and adopted by Christ. Matthew shunned, scorned by society, but now adopted into God's family. Once dejected, but now included in Jesus' family. Just by reading the genealogies, you get to see this pattern over and over again. And I believe this is what Matthew is trying to point to us. You get to see this one in Joshua 2. Rahab was called the prostitute. Rahab was called the prostitute. But look at in Matthew 1, it says there, Rahab, a great-grandmother of Messiah Jesus. This is divine reversal, my friends. God changes labels and rewrite our stories. Think about if you have a bad 2023, be excited for 2024 because the God that we worship is the God who changes our label, who changes our story. This is the God that we worship. Matthew leverages the opportunity of writing the narrative of Jesus' birth to deliver an outstanding point. God is the God of the outcast. God is the God of those people who are despised. A broken and contrite heart, God does not despise. If you are here and this year has been rough for you, this is our comfort, my friends. God is the God of outcasts. He is the God who included those society excluded. And here's, I believe, my friends, is at the heart of the message of incarnation. At the heart of the incarnation is the message of adoption. At the heart of the incarnation is the message of adoption. Notice the theme and the pattern of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4 verse 18. Jesus said this one, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who have been oppressed, and recovering sight to the blind, those who have been blinded, and to set liberty at those who are oppressed. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Who among you here, if we could just be honest, this is our family. At one point in your life, you were once these people. Blind, captive, oppressed, offended. Not because sometimes it's not even for the people around you. Sometimes that's just how life gets. That's just how life works. We live in a broken world and sometimes things happen to us. But here's the hope that we have. That Jesus has come to bring hope to the hopeless and home to the homeless.
where we were singing a while ago, I just love that phrase. And I said this at the beginning of preaching. To us, a child is born. Because I really believe that at the heart of incarnation, what happened is that God has brought for us home. God has brought for us home. Not a house. Not a house. It's a home. It's a place where you can be comforted. It's a place where you can express your vulnerability. If you are here right now and home has not been home for you for the past years, you don't even want to go home because things are just so messy. Things are just chaotic at home. This is our home. For the fathers in the house, maybe for some of us, we got so tired being the leader of the home. Guess what? God has come for us and He has brought us home. For the mothers in the house, God has brought for us home. For those of you who have lost their loved one this year, for those who don't have a father, for those who will be spending Christmas alone, the heart of incarnation, God saw each of our brokenness. God saw each of our pain. God saw each of our sorrow. And God put a stamp on it. I'm not going to reveal myself through nature, through tornadoes. I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to come there on that world that you're living in to show to you that this is how much I loved you. At the heart of incarnation is the message of adoption. We have been orphans. But right now, God has brought for us whom He had come down to us descended in this world that we're living in. And here's what I want to submit to everyone. If we could just, this is home. This is home. Maybe for some of us fathers, some of us, this is home. And when you are at home, when you are at home, you can be yourself. You can be in your brokenness. You can express your vulnerability. Reflect on the message of the incarnation. words again we cry
Christmas time. Of course, there are lots of things that's happening in Christmas time. Reunions come, cousins come, friends come. But one thing, one of the things that is my favorite, and I think nothing beats the best, nothing beats it. It's the feeling that your dad is home. It's the feeling that your dad is home. Truth of the matter, it doesn't change the fact. Back then, my grades probably it won't it won't increase the depths still be there depression might still be there but I know this one God is home Father is home here's the thing my friends we've been talking about this one Emmanuel God with us but I'd like to stretch it further God did not only come to be with us God also came to father us God did not only came to be with us, God also came to father us.
all the voices in this room, we sing Emmanuel. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.